Well, good morning. My name is Amy. It's great to see you guys this morning. Uh, obviously, our air conditioning is not working properly, so we will just enjoy this camping experience and get through it together. And if you need to get up and get a drink of water or stand in the cool hallway, you are welcome. Well, our kids this morning did Wild Wonder outside, and they used this special paper called sunprint paper. And what happens with this paper is the sun will react with chemicals and imprint like a negative image of anything that was placed on the paper. So you can see what's in this. We actually did this one yesterday. There's a fern, a feather, a piece of vine. I don't know if you guys can tell some of the things on this one that they made this morning. Can anyone tell what this is? The sand dollar, yeah. Does anyone know what this is? A, a peacock? A horseshoe crab? Does whoever made this want to tell us what it is? It's a peacock feather. Wow, good guess. Anything else you guys notice on this one? Seashell? Is this a seashell, Mary Tobin? All right, good job. So when we look, I'm going to bring a dry one over to me. When we look at these sunprint papers, we can't actually see the things that were set on here. You know, we can't see the leaf, the seashell, the peacock feather, but we see this evidence that they were here. We can actually get a sense of how intricate they are, how beautiful they might have been. We can imagine what they're like, but we don't actually see the things themselves. And we also don't see the sun itself on the page, even though that is what made this image possible. We see the evidence of its power, its capacity to transform whatever it touches, even its capacity to give life. And we also can't see the kids who carefully arranged all the things on the paper, but we see the evidence of their hands at work. We see the evidence of their thoughtfulness and their creativity. And so the sunprint pages, they hint at so much more than what's actually on the page. They point toward this unseen reality that is a lot bigger, more colorful, more textured, more beautiful, and much more alive than what's on the paper. And today's gospel reading from Luke 12 is about making our lives sort of like this sunprint paper, making our lives so that they point to a bigger reality, so they point beyond us to this unseen reality of God's powerful and creative hands arranging our lives at work in the world, setting things right. And God is actively working in the world to set right everything that is wrong, but we can't fully see it right now. We get glimpses of it, but someday we will. And all of today's scriptures point to that unseen reality that someday we will. So in Genesis, we heard that this unseen reality takes the form of a promise, this promise of blessing, a promise of descendants, and a promise that through this one blessing, all the people of the world will be blessed, a blessing more numerous than the stars in the sky. And it's a blessing that sounded really impossible and ridiculous because Abraham was so old. And I love the way the reading from Hebrews puts it, where it says he's so old he was as good as dead. Like, he is very old. So it seems like such a silly promise. 
And then in the psalm, we have this unseen reality of this God who is merciful, who is abundant in loving kindness, and whose mercy is actually stronger and more powerful than all the powers of this world, whose mercy one day will triumph over all that is cutthroat and evil. And then in Hebrews, that unseen reality is called a better homeland, a heavenly country. This is one of my favorite parts of scripture. A city whose architect and builder is God himself. And we, with all of God's people and all who have gone before us, are on this journey toward that far-off country. And then finally, in Luke's gospel, which is where we'll spend most of our time this morning, that unseen reality is simply called the kingdom. The kingdom is wherever God reigns as king. And Jesus came preaching that the kingdom had actually come near, that now God was going to reign right here. The God who had made all things was now stepping inside of his creation in the person of Jesus. And by his death and resurrection, he was undoing the powers of evil and death, everything that was oppressing human beings made in the image of God. He was overturning all of that and establishing his kingdom here, a kingdom where he would reign with mercy and justice and loving kindness. And this kingdom would start small and hidden in the lives of God's people, in whatever they touched. But one day this kingdom would be revealed fully. That's the kingdom that Jesus came preaching, and he was inviting people to come out of the kingdom of this world and to live under the good reign of God. But that kingdom can feel like a far-off country. That kingdom can feel like this ridiculous, impossible promise. It can feel like, as Jesus will tell us in a moment, like the longest watches of the darkest night. So Jesus begins our gospel passage knowing all of that. He gives us these comforting words, do not be afraid, little flock. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard those words in Luke's gospel. They are all over the place. They start at the very beginning in Luke 1 when an angel comes to Zechariah and says, your wife is going to have a baby. He's going to be John the Baptist. He's going to point the way to Jesus. Do not be afraid. And then an angel comes to Mary and tells her she will give birth to the Savior of the world and says, do not be afraid. And then the angels come to the shepherds to say, he's here, he's been born. And they, he, they say, do not be afraid. And then when Jesus calls Peter and James and John and tells them to abandon their nets, to leave their fishing boats, to leave behind their livelihood and follow him, he tells them, do not be afraid. Even when Jesus raises a dead little girl back to life, he tells the parents, do not be afraid. Over and over and over and over, we hear in this gospel, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of God's messengers. Don't be afraid of what God is about to birth. Don't be afraid of the total disruption of life as you know it. Don't be afraid to set down your livelihood, your career, your identity, your security. 
Do not even be afraid of death itself. Do not be afraid. And the reason is that unseen reality of the kingdom. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, because it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We have nothing to lose. We have nothing to fear because the Father wants to give us the kingdom. This God who has made all things has opened up the riches of his presence, his promises, his mercy, his love for us, his sure provision for all of our needs, his care for every detail of our life. All the storehouses of heaven are open to us. And not only that, God enjoys giving to us. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. We didn't have to twist God's arm. We don't manipulate him into giving us something by following a certain set of rules. He gives to us out of his good pleasure because he is our father and he loves us. He genuinely enjoys holding our lives more secure than any money, or any career, or any power ever could. He enjoys giving to us from the abundant riches of himself. So we have nothing to lose and nothing to fear because it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. That is the unseen reality in this passage. And then it goes on to ask, how do we live in light of this unseen reality? How do we live like this is true? And Jesus, as he always does, gets right to the point. He says, sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knows that the pursuit of money, the love of money, and everything that it buys us, status, security, whatever, that it has a way of keeping us bound to the kingdom of this world. It has this way of distracting us, of numbing us to the needs of those around us, and to the reality of God's abundant kingdom. And so Jesus offers this gracious invitation to live in that unseen reality. He calls us out of our greed— out of our anxious striving and hustling, out of our fear of scarcity, out of our need for control, and to rest and trust in the abundant generosity of God whose good pleasure it is to give us his kingdom. And Jesus doesn't just say, get rid of your money. He says, get rid of your money and give alms. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Alms are charity, gifts to the poor. And the point is not just to get rid of your possessions, but to use them to serve others. The point's not just to lower yourself, but also to raise and dignify your neighbor. And it points towards one of the repeated themes of Jesus that Luke's gospel loves to pick up. The way the kingdom of God is turning the whole world of money and power on its head. How the rich are actually poor and the poor are actually rich in the kingdom of God. So I want us to just take a moment with these words from Jesus. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms.
Is there something today that Jesus is asking you to sell or to give up or to set down, to let go of, to give away? Is there something Jesus is inviting you to release from your grip so that you can grab hold of the reality of the kingdom of God? Well, now Jesus tells a parable, a story about the kingdom. And in this story, a master has gone to a wedding and the servants are waiting at home for him to come back. And they wait deep into the night, into the farthest watches of the night, which is that time between midnight and dawn. And some of you know that I did seminary as a distance student when my kids were younger and when we were planting this church. And I often found myself doing a lot of stuff in those watches of the night because that was the only time there was. So I would find myself writing papers at 1 a.m. I would find myself writing papers in hospital rooms and on the floor of my kids' rooms. And I can tell you that the pull of sleep in the deepest watches of the night is so strong. It is even stronger than a French press made at midnight. And just to be clear, I'm not recommending this as like a good way of getting through life. Sleep's actually really good. We were made for it. I was chronically needing more of it. And in the kingdom of God, there are no watches of the night. There is no need for midnight coffee. There are no theology papers due. But the point of this parable is not to teach good sleep hygiene. The point of this parable is to make us feel that long wait in the depth of night that difficulty of believing in the coming kingdom when all we want to do is close our eyes and go to sleep. How long can we hold out for the riches of God's kingdom when we are surrounded by so much darkness, by so much evil and pain and suffering, so many abuses of power and abuses of people and institutions, so much greed, so much violence? How long can we stay awake? So Jesus reminds us, the night is long, but the dawn is coming. And there is this echo in this parable of the very first thing that Luke told us about Jesus back in chapter 1, when he said, the dawn from on high will break upon us to shine on those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And in this parable, the dawn breaks with the sound of a knock at the door telling them the master has finally returned home. And then listen to what happens. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Jesus wants his disciples to be like the servants who stay awake, who don't close their eyes through the long night, who don't just sort of make themselves as comfortable as possible to wait out the evil in the world. Jesus' disciples are to be alert. They're to be awake. They are to be serving, listening for the knock at the door, carrying out the work of serving others that's been given to them. They're to be living like people who believe in this unseen kingdom. But then when this kingdom comes, when the master finally returns, then we see this turning on its head that Luke loves to talk about. 
We see the servants becoming the honored guests. They recline at the table and they feast. And the master girds himself up and stoops down and serves. The kingdom of God is like this. It's people who have nothing feasting and resting and having everything. And it's people who have more giving themselves in service to others. In the kingdom of God, the one who serves is first. That's the reality of the kingdom. And so all the things that Jesus told us to do a minute ago, to sell our things, to give away what we have, it's a way of participating in that unseen kingdom now. Serving ourselves, humbling ourselves, giving away, living with less, living simply, so our lives are not too cluttered to see God moving, to see the people around us. It's all a way of saying, I believe the master is coming to set things right. I believe I will rest at his table. I believe he delights to give me the kingdom. So I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to lose. And there's a word for this way of living. It's called faith. And it's defined in the text from Hebrews 11.1 1, that Buzz read earlier. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith waits in the dark through the long watches of the night. Faith listens for the knock at the door. Faith sells possessions and gives alms to the poor and takes the posture of a servant and stays awake. Faith looks at the sunprint paper of this world and believes there is an unseen reality behind it. There is a creator God who made all things, who arranged our lives and this world with such care. And his powerful son, his dawn is breaking. He is coming to transform all things. So let's pray. Father, would you give us faith to believe in your unseen kingdom, to give whatever you are inviting us to give, to serve however you are asking us to serve, to accept your invitation to feast and rest at your table,